0: OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products in the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sector. Why not register and join the webinar being held on the 24th of March on AI auto contouring capabilities with Therapanacea? And you can also catch up with OSL at the BIR conference on the 30th and 31st of March, as well as visiting our booth at Estro this year. As always, please do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists, as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and workflows of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name is Laura and I work at Conventys as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We will open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensys.co.uk.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic radiographer led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 84. My name is Naman Chilka-Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Dr Lisa Ashmore, who talked about her career and the gynae narratives project she was involved with. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest for today, Dr Claire Taylor, MBE, who will be discussing her career while as a chief nursing officer at Macmillan Cancer Support and later facts from cancer treatment. Hi Claire, how are you?
2: Very well, it's a real privilege to be here, thank you.
1: So Claire, for anyone who doesn't know you, could you tell us a bit about what your current role or roles are and how you got there?
2: Oh, well yes, Um, I have two roles. So I'm Chief Nursing Officer at Macmillan Cancer Support and I've been here since June and I'm also a Macmillan Nurse Consultant and I specialise in colorectal cancer at London Northwest University Hospital's what made you want to be a nurse Claire? I've wanted to be a nurse ever since I was young um, I first decided uh, probably about age 15 that I wanted to move into nursing I went on a, a training program over the summer and then chose A-levels that would uh, enable me to become um, a degree educated nurse so I went off uh, from Lancashire down to Southampton um, and I was one of the uh sort of early intakes of degree um, graduated nurses. So it was the fourth entrance uh, level of that degree programme. And it was a really fascinating four years working with medical students, psychologists, sociologists to get a really broad foundation into nursing. Um, I can't say it was particularly easy because at that stage only 5% of nurses were degree trained. And so there was quite a lot of suspicion and curiosity about why we were doing degrees and um, we gradually sort of moved away from being students into being, being nurses. And, um, uh, and when I finished, I had had some really interesting placements on uh, both a hospice um, canter smart button outside Southampton and also colorectal surgical wards. And they actually then helped to create the kind of career that I, that I chose, a combination of cancer nursing and also um, colorectal surgery.
3: What drew you, do you think, specifically to oncology? Was it just the placements, or had you gone into nursing thinking that you wanted to work in oncology?
2: Um, well, initially I started out specialising in the surgical aspect, so I spent several years developing my skills in uh, surgery, and ended up being a ward sister at the Roll Free. And it was actually when I started doing the ward rounds with a consultant, and hearing how many of the patients had had surgery for cancer. And that we weren't really considering the impact of that as they were recovering from surgery as nurses. We didn't maybe have the time to fully support them, as we told them, uh, you know, often on the ward round, behind the curtains, in rather a hurried way, that they'd had the cancer removed. Um, and then I w- worried about the fact that they were going home and weren't going to come back to the outpatient clinic for some weeks and what that would mean for that individual. So I was lucky enough to study an advanced diploma in oncology and that really opened my eyes to the opportunities to offer more holistic nursing care to patients and see actually there there were um, many ways in which we could offer further support. And it was a year after I finished that that I saw a job advertised at St Mark's where I, I still work now. Um, and that was the third colorectal cancer specialist post to be advertised nationally. So Macmillan had employed, uh, had um, funded two roles, one in Brighton and one in the Wirral the previous year. Uh, and then it was the St Mark's Hospital who could see that actually they could really benefit from having a specialist nurse in colorectal cancer. Because at that stage, they only actually had a specialist nurse in breast cancer. So it was very much early days in terms of thinking about specialist nursing practice. And um, that was a, such an exciting time to develop the speciality. And over the next few years, as the the Kalman-Hein report came out um, and the cancer plan that showed that the CNS was central to the multidisciplinary team, that they had to be a core contributor to patient decision-making and sit on the MDT meetings, that the number of CNSs in colorectal cancer grew. But in those early days, there was still... Um, a thought that a mumble nurse would be supporting people uh, towards the end of life. So there was a, a great need to educate the public and uh, and clinicians about my role was there to see people from time of diagnosis, to help support them in making treatment decisions, um, to be there through the treatment journey for them and uh, provide information support um, all the way through uh, through their follow-up care and... Um, so you know really proud to have been part of that development of our, our speciality and it was for that reason that we started a, the nursing colorectal cancer network uh, nccnn um so the three of us who first started in the speciality role yeah formed this network um, and it's still running now so um i'm going back i started that role in 96 so 20 27 years uh, on we Uh, pre-pandemic we had 700 members and what was lovely in the early days was that we reached out to people to explain how we developed our roles, any education or information that we had we would share with them, people would come and spend the day with me to learn how to do it Um, and then it moved to kind of more formal education and uh, and newsletters uh, supported by Beating Bowel Cancer and now Bowel Cancer UK. Uh, So it's it's wonderful to see how our speciality has formalised. We've developed a lot more education um, and knowledge about our speciality.
1: Claire, can I ask you a very silly question about nursing grades? There's something I've always never understood so you mentioned like junior sister and then there's also a charge nurse what is the difference and obviously even another question sorry to add is you said that you were one of the first to be degree trained to go into it how did people get into it before that?
2: So they would they would apply to a local hospital and they would do a three-year training program and come out with a, a registered general nursing qualification so the difference then was um, moving to university education of course we are a graduate profession now uh, you study for an extra year you got your RGM but you also got a degree so you'd be studying uh, much of the content that the the medics did but also those applied uh speciality subjects like psychology social problems um and uh, a much broader sort of education as well as developing the skills needed to to be uh, autonomous as a nurse um, and you were asking about grades so we used to have a different grading system when I first qualified so when you qualified you were a D grade nurse and then after a year or two you could apply for E grade which would mean that you might be in charge of a ward on your own you have the skills to uh, to lead the ward um, junior sister would be F it went to GHI um, and then more recently of course we moved over to the agenda uh, for change pay bands um, and so we'd hope that a, a CNS role would be a uh, as an experienced CNS would be on a, a band 7. Um, there has been some discussion about that recently because we have created developmental posts um, and um, many CNSs are banded at 6. But really, if you're working at an advanced level of practice um, across all those four pillars, um, certainly my view, and I'm hoping to create kind of a position statement on that, is that you should be uh, rewarded at a band 7 level
1: and um obviously you were very nice you came and spoke to me on I think my first ever day in the office at Macmillan and you said it's quite hard when you join in the organization you're not always sure what you're doing where you're going you know where the coffee is and that's about it but to what I would think you've been there eight months now haven't you with Macmillan have you what are your kind of your roles and responsibilities as the chief nurse
2: yeah so this is a, a new role for Macmillan um there's been a chief medical officer for many years and a, about a year ago they formed the centre of clinical expertise so um, the previous CMO Rosie was uh, Loftus was creating a team that she wants to be fully multidisciplinary um, and at that stage we had um, predominantly doctors uh, working within the team so it's been absolute pleasure to join as uh, a joint leadership position with Professor Richard Simcock as chief medical officer um, and myself um, and we've now got a, a really good multidisciplinary team many of whom are working one, maybe two days a week as a a national advisor. Um, We also have seven fellows who are externally funded, but everybody um, has a clinical role outside of Macmillan. And so they bring those uh, really contemporary clinical insights into the organisation. So we have nursing, AHP and all different specialities within um, uh, medicine covered within our centre of clinical expertise team and um, and i think in that way we can really share with the organization uh, our current insights and give really good clinical credibility to any work that we're doing i mean matmelin is a a very large organization um many different uh, divisions within it whether it be communications advocacy policy innovation fundraising philanthropy um, and uh, in a strategic clinical position like this um you know we hope to be able to influence activities and make sure if there's a kind of a clinical contribution that can be made at the beginning of a um, an idea uh, and, and sense checking and evaluating that as it goes along um, because that you know at, at the heart of our objective strategy is to make sure we're there for for anybody living with and beyond cancer and do whatever we we take to help them so we want to make sure we're, we're getting that right and and we can go back out to our relevant um, stakeholders um, so i connect with the UK oncology nursing society talk to the lead nurses. Um, we can get a feel for what, whether we're doing the right things. Uh, so it's a very much a two-way dialogue between our, our networks, which have to be across the four nations, um, and uh, making sure that what we're, what we're thinking about in, in, in the UK office is, is clinically relevant to all professions across all those nations.
3: And you are Dr Claire Taylor. Can you tell us a little bit about how you achieved that status and also MBE? How exciting!
2: <laughs> yes, well, I've always really loved learning, and I think um, I realised that the degree in nursing was just the start, really, of my education. Um, it was a challenge, actually, getting the second degree, the, the master's, because uh, my ward manager, a senior ward manager at the time, couldn't see the, the the point in nurses having a degree, never mind a master's. Um, but uh, so I had to do a distance learning in my own time, and um, I. Um, Uh, really enjoyed the research component of that. I interviewed people who had been diagnosed with bowel cancer to find out their experiences, and I was really shocked how powerful that voice was. They talked about feeling very much on their own at that stage, um, and it made me want to do further research and follow that journey through and find out what um, their thoughts and experiences were as they recovered from colorectal cancer. So when I started in the um, uh, colorectal cancer CNS role, I thought after a few years it would be really nice to, to continue my, my studies and um, I was lucky enough to get a research sabbatical to sort of develop those thoughts and, and then apply to King's for uh, to, to do a PhD. Um, professor Alison Richardson, who was a very um, well known cancer researcher, uh, uh, had just become a professor at the time, so she kindly took me under her wing to supervise me. And I did a, a study looking at the experiences of people recovering from colorectal cancer. Um, so this was a really good research grounding. It came at a slight difficult time for me because I'd just had two, two young children when I registered for my PhD. Uh, so I had to do it slowly over a five and a half years, um, uh, often in the evenings. <laughs> um, so it's not really ideal. I didn't get the sort of time releases that you should have to do a PhD because ideally you want to spend two or three days a week, you know, committing yourself to, to uh, developing your, your knowledge. Um, but it was a grounded theory and methodology. So it was a very um, inductive process of gathering lots of interviews, a lot of information from different sources to come up with a theory which I called the Process of Restoring Embodied Control. Um, So I I really loved that that project. It was was one I was quite glad to finish in the end, but um, actually I think it's been very helpful in um, giving me some sort of academic credibility and enabling me to continue to do research now in in my role. I don't use the, the title doctor all the time, but there are sometimes it can be helpful if you're applying for further research funding or you're going to a research meeting where maybe you're the only nurse in the room. Um, it perhaps gives you a little bit more more status. And, um, uh, yeah, and I, I feel that I have been able to influence the research strategy within our organisation now and show to a board level the contribution nurses and allied healthcare professionals can and make to research because we weren't even in the strategy sort of a few years ago whereas now we have a working group um, we present our research at an annual event uh, and we're mentoring and developing other uh, nurses and AHPs within our trust to, to, to develop their research skills because I think everybody has the potential to generate some level of evidence whether it be you know starting out with an audit um, or, or or doing something sort of you know fairly small scale uh, particularly with support of people who've done that sort of work before nurses don't just need to be collecting the data for others we can actually be leading the research so I have been PI in a few studies since um, and I see that as really a core component of my role now as, as a nurse consultant in terms of the MBE uh, well I got that for contribution to cancer nursing I didn't know at all that was going to be nominated and it was complete shock um, and I received the award three years ago uh, and I presume it was for the um, formation of the, the the network that we've kept going over the years and um, I, I've written a lot of papers um, and sort of developed the evidence base for the speciality and and I remain completely passionate uh, um, about supporting other people in their career and uh, hopefully um, it, you know th- I, I see this as about uh, recognition for the sp- speciality not necessary for me but the fact that we've come on a long way as colorectal cancer specialists it's
1: an amazing career i don't yeah it's just amazing how much you've achieved from exactly as you said that comment about your ward manager who didn't believe nurses having degrees to getting to the point to role model that for yeah the whole country of nursing really i I just think it's incredible
2: it's gone such so quickly to be honest um I did have a, a time out of the NHS, so after seven, eight years of being a CNS, I um, moved back to palliative care, and then I moved into an education role, and um, Macmillan at the time had education units based in universities, so I went to work at King's College London, and then we formed a um, education unit of gastrointestinal nursing called the Burdett Unit. Uh, I went to work there developing um, degree in postgraduate courses in nursing and we were able to develop a lot of specialist nurses in, in GI nursing overall uh, until unfortunately the funding wasn't renewed. Um, I then went to work at King's as a, a, a GI lecturer and it was there that I finished my PhD and it actually that was a very helpful place to work to uh, finish my academic studies to be honest. It was a um, um, more supportive environment of, of And recognizing that there was a need to have a PhD as a nurse in fact it was kind of a central criteria to be a lecturer at King's Uh, and I I think uh, there were very few nurses if any when I came back in 2012 to um, St Mark's Hospital um, who had a PhD and I'm pleased to say we have many more now but um, the you know getting the time off to to do academic studies when it's not a seen as a formal degree where you go off and do um you know training in a a classroom a lot of it is self-directed study uh, was was quite difficult um but I'm sure that time out in education um really did sort of enhance the different components of my role so it gave me confidence to run national and international study days uh, as well as continuing to develop my research career
3: Claire, we've mentioned kind of in a blasé way about the clinical nurse specialist role, but it is huge within cancer care. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that role actually entails and how a registered nurse practitioner would go into a CNS role?
2: Yes, well, I described my journey where I did an oncology qualification and felt I was in a fairly senior role with several years' experience behind me that I could move into a, a CNS role. Um, but the pathway really wasn't very clear, and unfortunately those speciality courses that were provided by the EMB disappeared. And then um, degree and postgraduate courses like the one I, I was running at the Birda Institute also disappeared, because higher education generally decided that they would run more generic postgraduate programmes. But ideally, you're looking for somebody who has got postgraduate education, um, and working towards a master's or if not having a master's to be working at this level. Um, so. I'm pleased to say that um, Macmillan, along with many other stakeholders, have been working really hard the last uh, two years on a programme called Descend, looking at aspiring cancer careers and educational development and this has been launched now and what we have now is a much clearer pathway how people can develop from enhanced uh, well registered to enhanced and then to advanced practice and that's for nurses and uh, allied healthcare professionals um so i think the pathway is clearer in understanding what competencies you need to develop to move into these roles and now we're we're beginning to commission education which will help people to make the, that transition Because we get a lot of people thinking about they'd like to come and work with us, but maybe they have five years of uh, nursing experience working on a variety of different wards. They may have done some cancer nursing within that. Um, But how do they develop that specialist knowledge they need for what is, you know, a a specialist role with a high degree of autonomy um, and a requirement for, um, you know, really uh, a high level of skill uh, and knowledge to work um, with a unique patient group. Um, there are so many different CNS roles of course and not just in cancer but outside that but within cancer um, we have many many different specialist nurses now. So from my time when I first started where we had just basically a breast and uh, bowel cancer nurse we now have in our service probably over 50 uh, clinical nurse specialists working in site-specific roles predominantly um, and each team will have more than one as the uh, numbers of people you know being supported by CNS has has grown and we've realized the contribution that they can make to to people's care. Um, So they tend to be very specific roles uh, with a you know very um, uh, in-depth knowledge of that speciality and I think that's become increasingly important as there's been absolute explosion in treatment options you know you really need to have cutting-edge knowledge of uh, what might be available for your patients um, and be able to answer all their questions and uh, be able to, to to deliver the care as I said autonomously but as part of the multidisciplinary team so we work really closely with our, our healthcare professionals our oncologists our surgeons um, and um, it's a uh, we, yeah, but we're recognised now to be a very key part of that uh, team and that the team can't function without the CNS because we bring um, the patient insights to the decision-making process, which hopefully at the MDT will be the, there to advocate for their, for their concerns um, and then feed that back and translate uh, a decision or recommendation into terms hopefully the patient can understand and support them in decision-making about what treatment is going to be best for them. So that's a really important role. Um, And hopefully by then you've supported the patients through their diagnosis, you've provided emotional support to them and those affected uh, by that, so their family. And and then you might be navigating them through those different treatment options. That gets more challenging, the more treatment options we have, doesn't it? Because quite often people will be visiting more than one centre for their treatment. Um, and so keeping tabs and coordinating that care, we spend a lot of time making sure things happen in the right order and happen in a way that's going to be suitable for that individual that they come to, when they come to the hospital for their CT scan, they can also have their bloods done and maybe see somebody else in, in that go. So it becomes really personalised to that individual. And then some of the um, other important aspects of the CNS role are thinking about the anticipatory care. So we may be trying to plan ahead to think uh, what are the risks of this patient in terms of their disease, are they somebody with uh, high risk of recurrence or high risk of late effects, what measures can we put in place, developing their supportive network, making sure we've got the right sort of level of follow-up, the right surveillance, of course some of that is made as a decision by the team, but, but the nurse may then enact that by booking the, 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 the surveillance and running the follow-up programme. And so, in my speciality, uh, our expectation is that CNS's will be um, running a lot of the remote uh, surveillance, the, the patient-initiated, stratified follow-up by another name, uh, and seeing the majority of the patients for their, for their aftercare, um, whereas when I first started in the speciality, you know, it was all consultant-led, face-to-face-led, so there's been a really massive shift, and I think CNS's have played a, a really vital role in helping to transform the care of people after they've had treatment um increasingly i think there's uh the the role that we play in assessing holistic needs has shown that you know we have to go beyond thinking about their physical needs but also their emotional needs so most cnss will be trained to level two in terms of providing psychological care so they can deal with mild to moderate distress anxiety depression and the key thing is then knowing when they might need to refer on so say somebody has persistent fear of recurrent disease or um more in, you know intrusive thoughts as are limiting their day-to-day functioning we might be thinking they need to go to level three or level level four if it's more acute than that um so working closely with our psycho-oncology team discussing sort of when they might need to take over the care and trying to make that a really seamless journey so it doesn't feel like it's sort of a, um, too frightening for the individual it might even be shared care in some cases um, in addition to the emotional sort of side of it, increasingly with the social impact, so we'll spend alongside maybe you know, our occupational therapists or uh, other team members, like social workers, thinking about helping people get back to work. The service I work in now is, um, is a complex colorectal cancer service, so we see people who have really extended surgery called pelvic exenteration and over the last 10 years we've been building that service. We're probably one of the highest volume centres in the world now, seeing over 350 patients. So this was kind of a new development in my role and thinking about the impact that that had on people's ability to return to work and so making sure that they had the right financial measures in place and the right uh, support to their employees so that they got a a decent return to work at the right time for them so looking at those holistic needs and putting a plan in place that's personalized to them and crucially then making the right referrals to enable those um, plans to be enacted in a timely way monitoring that they've been achieved to hopefully give people the best quality of life in the long term I think that's always been my drive is you know, how can we improve patient outcomes? What is what is it we can do to give people the very best experience? This can be a very traumatic uh, diagnosis for people. Um, of course, some people sail through, but for most people, it's going to be a very significant moment in their lives. And trying to improve that by giving them the right support at the right times can make all the difference.
1: It's such an incredible role, the role of a CNS. And i think i completely agree with you i've seen cns roles advertised at band six and i think that's quite a lot of pressure or a lot of challenges as well and obviously with the current climate with the nhs anyway and the cancer backlog of patients coming through i mean there aren't as many clinical nurse specialists as there are needed for each specialty i think we all know that and obviously now there's no cancer plan suddenly which also makes it even tougher but there's so much for a clinical nurse specialist cns to do um I don't know without being too controversial do you think it is actually happening what what can we try and do to support a bit more
2: yes I absolutely agree it's a difficult time and I've seen those changes happening slowly over the last few years the last census we did of our workforce was 2017 and one of the things that threw up for us was the huge disparity that we had in caseload as a CNS I mean it on average you might have 70 to 80 patients within your own uh, responsibility um, but there were teams where they may have up to 200 patients to look after from the from diagnosis to sort of um, you know right through the pathway over many years so it's not just the new patients coming in it's the, the cumulative effect of supporting people over many years um, and, and that's really not sustainable. And certainly in my own practice, when I look on a monthly basis, when I was full-time, I was seeing, had contact with 500 patients. Um, and to give the kind of level of support that you wanted to, to ensure that every interaction you had was the best it could, where you might want to give 20, 30 minutes of your time on the phone to them or in clinic became very challenging, but you don't want to brush anybody off and not give them the time that they, they need. Um, so as the role sort of requirements expands and we can offer more in terms of our advanced skills where we're independently seeing more of the patients in clinic, um, taking over more of the follow-up um, and some you know additional uh, role requirements, this sort of the need for more CNSS has become more evident and uh, we think probably there are about three and a half thousand Um, shortages of CNSs at present so uh, some of that is about bringing people into the profession and some of it is about uh, retaining and caring for the people that are there and they're really big priorities within my role certainly to think uh, I've got to be a figurehead for cancer nursing here and speak out about the the need for more CNSs and we need to develop um, but we also need to retain our workforce um and and people who are looking after you know a very heavy workload is it is not going to be sustainable in the long term unless they've got uh, a better infrastructure ways we've been trying to deal with that is investing more in our clinical support workers so that will be a ban for um unregistered but giving them a good level of education support so they can take off quite a lot of the admin help to book those patients into clinic to book their personalized care interventions to follow up with some of the care planning work um, answering the the helpline doing some of the navigating and social prescribing roles i see you know there's there's more opportunity to support the cns by adding in these roles and i think most teams are realizing that now um they may be called navigators pathway coordinators um but I would hope that each CNS has at least some admin support to help support them in their work. And I would also advocate for people having clinical supervision. I don't know if you get that within your roles as AHPs, but we do take a very heavy emotional burden, you know, being there when somebody's diagnosed or when there's another uh, kind of key breaking bad news session, maybe they're told they've got recurrence or... A, a severe complication uh, or they even at the moment that they're, they're having to wait a very long time because of the backlog and the the, the, um, the, the waiting times to treatment are much longer than many people want that causes a great deal of distress uh, so when you're constantly taking you know call after call with people really um, emotionally uh, discharged uh, there, there needs there needs to be some outlet for that so that's an important part of helping sustain CNSS in practice. Um, so, yeah, and of course, pay, because we've seen over the last 10 years um, a decrease real time in our in our pay. And I think we, we won't keep people a third of our um, CNS workforce are over 50. And there's an increasing uh, expression of um, interest in retiring because they feel the working condition conditions are poor, the pay isn't levelling up to the level of sort of training and education that they have compared to uh, other other roles. Um, so I think we need to address working conditions and pay um, and bring more people into the profession and hopefully then in the next few years we'll start to see a turnaround and, um, and, um, and more nurses staying with us in, in cancer nursing
3: it's such a challenging minefield just when you were talking about the roles and responsibilities of a cns i was like how is that even feasible let alone if you had a patient with comorbidities and actually then need to integrate the services how do you think kind of looking into the future and thinking about macmillan role development how do you think we could maybe integrate cns's more but within maybe other pathways
2: yeah, I think that's a really interesting point for development because we've had a very secondary care focus, haven't we? Uh, um, despite talking about care and needing to be closer to home, you know, there's a lot of specialist knowledge centred around that uh, early diagnosis and treatment phase, which is just a tiny part of the patient pathway. We want most of that time for people to be out of hospitals in the community, but supported by people who understand what their particular skills and um, needs might be. So we do need to think more about the, the community provision um, and that's one of the reasons why we've just recently appointed a, a nursing advisor who has special interest in primary care into our team because there is a real opportunity to think about how we maximise cancer care review to support people who, who might have um, consequences of the cancer and its treatment and thinking about what other services there may be within their local area that can offer that further further support. So I think we might be looking at a role that has a broader function where we uh, upskill those who don't maybe have that specialist knowledge but feel enabled either to deliver a certain level of knowledge and know how to reach out to those specialists as and when they need it. you know there seems to be a big divide quite often between primary and secondary care and I would like and some of its data some of it's that you know lack of understanding about role but I'd like to see that hopefully with the introduction of more integrated care systems that we're going to have a better fusion and a flow of information and skills for the patient to move um, out of secondary care much more easily and get the kind of that level of expertise that they need in in primary care also.
1: Claire, I have a controversial question you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Obviously with the shortages in clinical nurse specialists uh, and anyway in the, the cancer pathway, do you think there's a role for AHPs within that CNS sort of role?
2: Yes, I think it's a really interesting development. I mean, you could say who is the best person um, to deliver the the care to this individual? What are their needs and who has has the role function to provide it? We probably do need to get a little bit away from thinking, you know, about our territory and what what we can deliver. Um, uh, You know, a a very core contribution of the CNS role is personalised care. But there's no reason why an allied healthcare professional couldn't deliver that. You'd hope that they would be working closely with their fellow multidisciplinary team members, um, and would be utilising the skills of the, the the nurse within that. But um, I, yes, I've certainly seen us thinking more broadly um, about because I don't think there's enough AHPs in, in cancer care either. Um, we've got very few specialist cancer uh, AHPs in our, on our trust, and I think we're missing a contribution that you can bring to, to patient care. So, uh, yeah, we could, should be thinking a little bit more broadly about who is the most skilled, has the best sort of functions to bring to that particular patient group, but, but making sure that there is a full team offer as part of that service.
3: I suppose I was part of um, the Ascend project, and it was really interesting listening to a very wide, multidisciplinary team going, "Well, we don't, we don't learn any of this information at a pre-registration stage." Where our, for me it was really alien because I was like, "That's all we learn." We, if anything, actually some of the barriers to us is we don't learn enough about dementia or you know neurological conditions, diabetes, you know the comorbidities that affect our cancer patients. Um, but it is really interesting that you know our bread and butter, that's all we learn. We're so immersed in it. And I think that's definitely um, where I get really passionate that because of our oncology, knowledge integrating with our cns colleagues and wider um is really really important and i think also obviously around career development role development and um, with therapeutic radiographers working much more within the community or with specific late effects clinics and um, i think it's a really exciting time and um i know it's exactly as you've said you know, is it definitely it has to be that professional discipline that has that role? Should it be a specialist role, but for anyone who fits the role criteria?
2: Yes. Yeah, so thinking about the um, service that we set up for the GI consequences service at St Mark's. And um, it, it's really wonderful when you work together with different uh, disciplines to give the best patient care you can see the, the contribution you can make but equally the patient's not going to get the full experience and, and and the best clinical outcomes unless they see the dietitian as well as the gastroenterologist and also the the biofeedback physiotherapist and um, so we all have a role to play in that patient's uh, the patient's journey and um i i do i do think we're seeing seeing a change but and we do also need to recognise if we've had a, a kind of oncology training or, we, you know, we've been in the speciality many years, where our limitations are. And so developing those uh, networks, so, you know, whether it be a menopause specialist team or endocrine um uh, late effects service you know that's down the road but finding those connections and building the referral pathways to ensure that you can enhance the uh, the patient experience is really vital we can't know it all but as long as we can know what we don't know and find solutions uh, then hopefully we're, we're doing the best for our patients
3: What do you think the challenges are for Macmillan at the moment? Because I know speaking to patients, they're finding that the NHS is so overwhelmed that actually they're relying upon charities to almost plug some of those gaps. So things around maybe uh, the cost of living crisis. And I know Macmillan is producing some amazing resources to help and support patients in that way. Do, do you feel that's kind of the main role of, of Macmillan for patients in in plugging that is should it be a responsibility of a charity to have to maybe provide that additional care and support
2: well we provide support in many ways and I think we every patient needs to have a, a, an option of you know whether they want it to be virtual um email, face to face, whether they want it in their local area or whether they're they're happy to, to you know to go to a national charity. I wouldn't like to think that we were plugging the gap, so I'd like to think everybody had face-to-face contact with somebody who could provide them with the right sort of skills and support that they needed um, but in addition to that that there is a service for people whenever they need it so that right by you sense that, 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 that as a charity you know our aspiration is to be able to support everybody who's diagnosed with cancer as well as those affected by us. and and we offer that support in a range of ways including the funded roles Um, but there is going to be a limit to the number of roles we can fund so we have to think about how we enhance the the, you know the communities um, thinking about our schemes like volunteering and buddying as well as our amazing support line which runs you know uh, seven days a week and and has actually seen a a, a quite an increase recently as you've identified in the, the, the support that people are needing particularly as they maybe don't feel that they've got the c- contact that they need at the local hospital, maybe there are vacancies, um, or that they have just such acute uh, um, needs in terms of managing their cost of living. So there's, there's a really been a big investment in our support line provision to help people and you do need a specialist level of knowledge to help people with their energy bills, um, make sure they get the right payments, um, and uh, and uh, and they they can you know be supported financially. So uh, there's a, obviously a place for both. And. Um, and I think Macmillan has an incredible reach across the the four nations and and is always innovating and thinking about how they can do that better and get out to people who maybe are harder to reach who may not traditionally come forward to the cancer information unit for that support um they may not be as digitally enabled but but they may be able to go to a sort of trusted uh community center or uh they may be or they may be, be prefer to do something through an online community. Um, so we've got to provide a real variety of support, uh, but hopefully being there for, for everybody when they need it is, a, is an aspiration we have.
1: So Claire, you've done a PhD, you've got an MBA, you're a consultant, you're the lead nurse at Macmillan. What's next for you?
2: Well, I'm just really excited about developing our team and thinking about how we can um, really strengthen the nursing and AHP voice within uh, the organisation, but also, I suppose, at a higher level in terms of they've got the privilege of meeting with very senior uh, national stakeholders where you can influence change in terms of, like, nursing strategy and workforce plans. Uh, So, you know, look forward to being able to deliver more kind of clinical strategic input. and I also really want to see more people being offered personalised care. And um, it's, it's a shame that have been working really hard for years, but I guess because of the the problems we've had with our workforce that only at the moment 40% of people are receiving holistic needs assessment and care plan and we really want to get that to 70% at least because maybe not everybody needs one but you know if we can get the majority of people to get that holistic assessment and really make sure that we're finding out about what needs they have and addressing them so that's a really important part of uh, what we'll be working on over the next couple of years um and then uh, who knows I've just been you know really enjoying settling into the organization and learning about the organization i haven't really looked beyond beyond the next few months to be honest um but i am still very much a a cancer nurse at heart and and thoroughly enjoy you know the 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 clinical contributions that i i make to. um and there's always more to do isn't there there's revisions of work that you've done for instance we're looking at um the BSG guidance that we produced a few years ago or, um, in, you know, recirculating evidence about the, the benefit of the CNS or, um, or thinking about, you know, the, the new um, issues that are coming. So we've got our major condition strategy, you know, what, how's that going to shape things and do we need to be influencing that and thinking about uh, how cancer is situated within other major conditions. So I, I think there's lots to excite us over the, the coming few years.
3: So, Claire, um, it all sounds really exciting and I love it when you kind of don't necessarily have that next trajectory because it's it shows, I think, in a way that actually you're embedded in Macmillan and you, you know that that's what your focus is at the moment. Um, you mentioned kind of the workforce challenges and the strikes. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the impact that that may be that you're seeing from your clinical role?
2: yes it's been a really uncertain time for people hasn't it and i i you know on a personal level as a as a nurse um i do fully empathize with people's need to strike as i said we've seen a change in working conditions and pay um and it it takes a lot for a nurse to want to have a voice and, and to to make the steps to strike um and I, you know, I, I do understand the need for this and support what the RCN are, are trying to do. Um, at, I work in a trust where we didn't meet the threshold and we haven't been striking uh, at London North West. So um, I haven't sort of noted it directly although we're already sort of planning ahead to how we're going to manage the the doctor's strikes uh and uh and whether the cns is going to step into the breach and sort of cover some of those uh, medical roles um and which of our cancer surgeries are going to have to be uh, suspended um and that 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 is a concern um but you know i support my my colleagues also for their reasons for for striking um i think on a short-term basis we haven't I, I, talking to sort of people around the country I, people to go out their ways to manage short term disruption and whilst there may have been some anxiety for patients um there seems to have been reasonably good patient support for for these strikes um and in the short term i think they can they they're understanding enough to cope with maybe some destruction to clinic times etc but that you know if, if we don't get resolution in our talks uh, there is going to be concern that our waiting times are going to further increase and, they, and they're longer than they've ever been before um you know we we, we are way off meeting the 62 day targets and then you know, we're speaking on a regular basis to people who haven't got dates, who are waiting weeks for radiotherapy, etc. And when you're living with cancer and and waiting, you know, that's a very long time uh, and and very, very concerning for people. Um, So, you know, I feel it from both sides. I'm thinking about the person living with cancer who's waiting for treatment, but equally I'm supportive of my colleagues and just hope we get to a quick resolution um, and that we can get back to to, to work with, uh, with hopefully a better pay deal.
1: And Claire, we always end our podcast with top tips. What top three tips would you give to people listening?
2: Well, I think caring for yourself is really vital. I've said the the emotional burden that you can feel in this role. And um, and unless you look after yourself, you're not going to be able to look after your patients. So, you know, it's very tempting to stay on at work and finish and call the next patient. But at some stage, you have to recognise when you can give no more, uh, take a break, making sure you've got support around you clinical supervision has been valuable to me over my career so care of self number one um, i think recognizing how you fit into the team and your your, your contribution to that um cns sometimes absorb things that aren't actually their job but having a really clear job plan knowing what it is that you do that nobody else may be able to do um and sticking to your job plan and, and being able to to demonstrate the value that you bring i mean there's really sound evidence about uh that we're good value for money that we improve patient experience that we improve quality of care and actually a study recently showing improved survival so you know be true to what your unique contribution is um and um and, and don't, don't feel that you need to absorb the work of others Um, I don't know what my third one would be, just enjoy it. I mean, gosh, what what privilege we we have to work with people and understand uh, you know their, their lives and get to know the families around them um, that, that's been the joy for me and just you know enjoy those opportunities to really get to know people and support them and see them get through sort of difficult times in their lives and come out the come out the other side and uh, so, so so celebrate the good times and uh, and enjoy uh, you know what you what you what you do well
1: oh brilliant thank you that's a really good one to end with I think I'm, I can speak for everyone listening in advance. That, yeah, very inspiring to have you on today to talk about your incredible career and how you champion the clinical nurse specialist role, but also just the patient voice. Um, but, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Claire. Thank you for everyone for listening to RadChat. So your hosts today are Vindam and Joker Anderson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflector questions posted along with the links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form links with the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Rebecca Quick, who will be discussing her experience of having cancer treatment and now living with the consequences of those cancer treatments. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.